What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Fast Podcast. Jake here with my co-host, David Campbell. David, how are you? Good, thank you. So good to be with you. Uh, glad you're doing well. And uh, we are going to do a part two episode today uh, of what we talked about last. The title of that previous episode was Love is Love? Question mark. Um, which is obviously a uh, popular sentiment of our day and age in the Western world. Um, and so we talk uh, quite a bit about that. So if you missed that episode, I encourage you to go have a listen. Where we left off on that episode was this, uh, this idea of um, whether or not our desires themselves can be called sinful. Does the Bible talk about uh, our our desires being sinful, if indeed they are disordered from God's will, God's design, or is it just the uh, behavior that manifests from the desire um, that is sinful? I certainly have my views on this, uh, but David, I'd love to kick it over to you to get started. Um, what are your thoughts in that arena? Because obviously that ties into the conversation about our sexual desire, uh, whether heterosexual or homosexual or or whatever it is. Um, but it's a conversation that I think is worth having. Yeah. I mean, I start, uh, on the subject of desire with the, uh, what the statement in the, the Psalms that trust in the Lord, do good in the land, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And, uh, so the, the prerequisite, there's a prerequisite to, uh, you know, prerequisites are uh, annoying things. My son is, all tied up in trying to get his university degree and it's delayed because of one prerequisite and the prerequisite isn't offered until, you know, six months from now sort of thing. Hmm. But prerequisites are really important. And in the kingdom of God, you know, you can't get away from them. Uh, and, and so the prerequisite for uh, God giving you the desires of your heart is that you will trust in the Lord and seek him and and uh, and do as well. And if your heart is right with God, then if you pass that prerequisite, he will give you the desires of your heart. And we can trust that the desires of our heart will be to the, the desires of his heart. Of course, where the problem comes in is where we birth our own desires without consulting God, where we don't have a kingdom mindset. And I'm, I'm speaking now to Christians, that you can be a Christian and be living for yourself fundamentally. I mean, you may have had a salvation experience, but has the mentality of the kingdom of God affected you? You know, Paul talks about having the mind of the spirit. Um, do you have the mind of the spirit? Uh, do you, uh, or elsewhere, he talks about the mind of Christ. Do we have the mind of the spirit or the mind of Christ? Um, do we think the way that Christ thinks? Do we think the way the Holy Spirit is thinking? Or are we really just thinking our own thoughts, making our own plans, and we've got a kind of a veneer of salvation on top of it that we think is good enough, but it isn't? And that's where we get into problems. Uh, so because like everything else, our desires are corrupted by the fallen world in which we live mm -hmm. so that. Paul says in Romans 7, the, the good that I want to do, I can't do. And, and the things that I hate, I wind up doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not, he's not saying he can't do anything good. He's just saying, I can never quite get to the point I want to 
because I realized that I kept getting messed around by the the fallenness of the world in which I live and how that affects me. And if, if he could say that, then mm-hmm. we could certainly say it. So somehow we have to go through a kind of a filtration. Like if you put a filtration system in your water, then it, it filters out the impurities and the stuff that's not good for you. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to put a filtration system in our heart so that the thoughts and mind of Christ are predominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can trust our desires. Hmm. Uh, not wholesale, but we're still going to experience desires that are untrustworthy. Right. But, but on the whole, uh, we don't have to sit around stewing about, you know, and I get up in the morning, uh, what, you know, is God going to strike me down if I put the wrong socks on or something like that, which obviously is oh, not sure. I mean, you know, I'm just using a point to exaggerate. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can have a degree of confidence that we're mm-hmm. walking in the will of God mm-hmm. and, and we can't function. I don't think anybody can function and do anything for God unless you have a, a sense of confidence that what you're doing is in obedience to God and is in the will of God mm-hmm. and that the desires that you've got are the desires of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all, we all do allowance for the fact that none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we all, we have to have accountability in our life and people speaking into it and that sort of thing and keep on mm-hmm. praying and whatnot. But I, I do think God wants us to have a degree of confidence because you can't be functional you know, like when you went to Los Angeles, you planted a church. Uh, that was a desire of your heart mm-hmm. to do that. And you were following God's heart. And yeah, that's if, a really... if you didn't know that, you, you would have been paralyzed and not able to move move forward with what God called you to do. Yeah, I think it's a great distinction as it relates to things like career, calling, passions, um, maybe uh, business endeavors that people want to go, you know, places that people feel led to live, things like that. I, I think that's really good. Um, and I, I do think you make an important point because a lot of times Christians can get trapped in, you know, what is the will of God for my life? What specifically does he want me to do? Um, and they don't give any uh, weight to the fact that they feel a desire for something in particular um, and where they would probably benefit if they paid attention to those desires a little bit more and said, well, maybe this desire is placed of God. And um, is leading me to uh, go in a certain direction. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, and I think it's a basic issue because if you go to uh, if you go into Romans seven, and we haven't got time to sort of exegete the whole passage. I try to do this in in my late in the book I've just published called Exodus, mm-hmm. um, where you know Paul in Romans chapter seven is presenting this picture of someone who's conflicted you know, is aware of his own fallenness, but he still loves the Lord. But in the first verses there, he talks about, I would have not, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now, covetousness for the Jews was desire. That was Mm -hmm. desire. Mm -hmm. And, but the way that Paul really here is talking, it's kind of, I haven't really got time to explain it, but uh, take it, on faith that he's really talking he talks about the law but he's really going back to the garden because the the jews believe that uh desire was the fundamental 
problem. That was where everything went wrong in the garden because they wanted something that they they that God had had forbidden. Mm-hmm. They you know they 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 were they given all this leeway. You can have everything you want except this one thing. And of course, the serpent comes in and focuses their attention on exactly the one thing that they don't have, which is what we're like today still, human nature being what it is. We can have all this stuff, but we want the one thing that we haven't got. And the desire, the wrong desire drove them into sin and rebellion. And so mm-hmm. desire has made, so the Jews, the, the, the rabbis believe that desire was the root of all other sins, which mm-hmm. is why Paul focuses on it in Romans 7 and goes back to the garden and says, once I was alive, he's talking about Adam, mm-hmm. but then I fell prey to desire. And that was the end of it. I, I died. So it's a problem. Human desire is a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about sexual, de- wrong sexual desire or right sexual desire or for any other um, area in life. Uh, it's all an area that has got corrupted by the fall and yet redeemed by Christ. So that somehow in the midst of it, God wants us to find a way through to a good place of desire, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, when you apply it to sexuality, um, you know, that the Bible has a very positive view of sexuality. And so, and, and, and so should the church, Mm -hmm. Uh, um, you know, just because it goes wrong uh, in places doesn't mean that we walk away from it. Right. And so the stereotype of, you know, churchy people as being, um, you know, a bunch of prudes that don't want to have anything to do with sexuality <laughs> or whatever. That's not correct. It's just we need to learn how to handle it properly because it can be yep. very destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can be extremely destructive. Um, on the other hand, it can be very redemptive. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it still goes back to what I said at the beginning it's do we have the mind of Christ? Mm-hmm. If and that means are you walking mm-hmm. in a in in a right relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. whether you're a young Christian or a mature Christian? Mm-hmm. And then these other things will come right. Yeah, I love that mind of Christ analogy as the filtration system. I think that's that's very helpful. Um because ultimately we we should believe that uh our desires uh, can be good and beautiful. And um, I think sometimes people get confused about uh, what is meant by things like original sin or even things like um, total depravity, thinking that Christians who are more reformed saying that there's, there's just absolutely nothing good about us. And, and our whole being is um, just as, as dark as the night, but my understanding is, is that that's not what, uh, well, that's, that's not quite, is that's saying. not quite, that's not quite accurate, even it's, as a portrayal of reform teaching. What, reform, right. what, what the teaching is that we, there's nothing in us that merits acceptance by God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, we can't earn God's acceptance through anything that we do because the only way to earn acceptance by God is to meet the standard of God himself. Because if God were to put his stamp of approval on our conduct, um, and if our conduct was anything less than the character of God himself, then God would be, um, you know, uh, t- tolerating sin. Mm-hmm. And, and he can't do that. So he sent his son 
You know, I mean, there's always there's always good in human nature. There's common revelation. There's you know, there's uh, common grace. I'm sorry, uh, apologize. Common grace. There's there's good in the world. The world is not an unremittingly evil place. Exactly. It's just that there's not good to the standard of who God is. Jesus was the only man that ever lived that life and earned acceptance before God. Yeah, uh, the way that I like to think about it is that it's not that everything is evil. It's just that everything has been touched by evil in some way. Right. It's not that my whole being is sinful, but that my whole being in some way has been touched by sin. And so to the point of desire, it's not that all my desires, whether I'm saved or not, are wrong desires, but that desire itself is not uh, is not free from the propensity to be sinful. Um, and so I think that brings us to kind of our first conclusion here is that absolutely uh, sin exists at the level of our desire. It does not have to be acted upon in order to be sinful. So if I have a uh, a heterosexual desire that is outside of what the Bible teaches in regards to uh, uh, my relationship with my wife, um, then I can call that that desire is sinful, even though I may never act upon it. I might never do something with it, um, but the desire itself uh, is still um, it's still sin to me. It's still it's still counted to me as sin. Um, and so, uh, it's something to be taken seriously and something to be dealt with, not kind of treated lightly and, and winked at. And then you would have to say that the same is true. Um, and the reason that we're having this conversation is because a lot of times I hear, uh, uh, a point made about, um, uh, homosexual desire and that, uh, I think what, what the term that would be, um, used as same-sex attraction is the attraction itself um, uh, an experience of sin, or is it only sinful when it uh, is something that is acted upon and exists as a, an outward behavior in our lives? To me, it would seem that we would say that our, our disordered attraction, whether heterosexual or homosexual, uh, if we were to think of it biblically, we would have to say, um, this is a sinful desire. Yeah. It's taint. It's like what, it's like what you said. It's, it's something that God gave that's been tainted by sin. And uh, uh, I think even though as biblical, biblically grounded Christians, uh, we, we have to accept the instruction of the Bible that uh, homosexual uh, relationships are, are not in God, part of God's plan. Um, at the same time, uh, there's nothing more inherently sinful about a, a same-sex attracted situation than there is about an opposite sex attracted situation that's out of order. Mm -hmm. uh, both are, are sinful. I mean, Jesus mm -hmm. taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, about adultery and it, it, adultery isn't just when you actually go out and commit the act. It's, it's the thought and the desire that's going on in your head. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, I think that, and, and in that case, uh, none of us is free of adultery. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a person on the face of the earth, hardly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, God has a way out of it, and, and God wants us to be able to function in spite of our imperfections. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I'm going to the physiotherapist later today because I've got a, a shoulder issue, and 
I'm expecting that she will give me exercises to do, which will improve my situation. So, you know, it's like I've got a problem, but it can be improved mm-hmm. through with help. And, and that's really what God does in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't be so focused on our problems. I mean, we've all got, I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's sexuality or whether it's materialism or whether it's, you know, anger against someone or whatever it is. Uh, we, we, we've got to, we, we've all got these issues, but we've all got to get past them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and learn to function. Mm-hmm. It, even if we can't function perfectly, which we won't until we meet the Lord face to face, we still need to be able to learn to function. So I want to have a reasonable function in my shoulder. I may never be able to do the shoulder press when I go to the gym without probably doing myself an injury, mm-hmm. but at least I can operate with flexibility and without pain and function, you know, I don't want to be crippled with it. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, it's worth, I think at this point, and I'm going to get to Hebrews 4.15 in a moment, but it's worth at this point, maybe delineating between uh, temptation and desire. So just because I am tempted, uh, there's some kind of external uh, stimulus um, that tempts me to sin, whether that's in my anger or in my sexual expression, whatever it is, um, just because I am tempted, th- th- there's some kind of fine line from what I understand between temptation and desire. The temptation comes at me, but maybe it, maybe I've so disciplined myself that it does not awaken my desire in the way that it used to. And I respond to the temptation in a way that uh, resists the devil, so to speak. And so he flees from me. Um, and I remain in the will of God by managing my desire. Is that a, a sure? A, I mean, I just heard the testimony of a young man who got saved in the, the church I planted many years ago in England, and um, he had been, uh, you know, he had started drinking and doing drugs at the age of twelve. It was awful, and it got worse and worse. And but he hit bottom at nineteen. His his parents became Christians in the process of all this. And, um, and he had an encounter with Christ at the age of 19, which changed his life. And so mm. that was six or seven years ago. And so now he's living free of all of those things. You call them temptation or whatever that, you know, he never saw a temptation that he didn't get into when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And now he's living in freedom and it's not an issue in his life. So, I think that it's possible to have victory uh, in many, many areas in all areas of our life. We, you know, we, we may never be perfect, but it's possible to live in functional victory. Mm-hmm. And so in that respect, the way we experience sin as uh, people who have um, what we would call a sin nature, we experience sin both through uh, an external temptation coming towards us, but we also, and we may sin because of that, uh, whether in desire or behavior, um, or we may sin simply because like James talks about, uh, a sin arose out of our desire instead of being outside in stimulus, it was inside out. Um, and it was just, it was the, the fallen nature of our desire expressing itself, um, in a sinful way. And this is a point that, uh, I've read in the past about um, 
as kind of a differentiation between how Jesus experienced temptation to sin versus how we experience temptation to sin. Because one of the arguments that can be leveled at what we're saying about how desire itself can be sinful is, is then people would say, well, if Jesus experienced temptation like we do, that means that he must have experienced sinful desire and therefore could not be without sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, and so you have this picture here of Jesus. He's totally without sin, um, but at the same time, he's experienced temptation. Now, I don't take that literally in the sense that Jesus has experienced when he was on the earth, every single temptation that every single human has ever experienced. I think to say that would be uh, silly and not what the text is saying. Um, but I think what the text is saying is that Jesus ex he experienced so much external temptation, whether it was Satan tempting him in the wilderness or, or other temptations that he came across during his, you know, 30 odd years on the earth. Um, but what he did not have, because he did not inherit, uh, he's the new Adam. So he didn't inherit the nature of the old Adam. He did not have uh, sinful desire that was birthed from the inside out that was innate to who he was. And therefore in that respect, he's different to, uh, the category of sinner where we would fit. He is altogether something different. Yeah, G Jesus is the, the second Adam. So the idea is that Adam had the potential uh, of not sinning, uh, right. but uh, he chose to. And ever since then, none of us have had the potential not to sin. We're all uh, in, mm -hmm. in the same boat in that we are bound to sin, mm -hmm. um, but Jesus wasn't. But yet somehow he still made a right choice where Adam made a wrong choice. And the problem with us is that it's the interplay of the we're just part of the fallen world. You know, it's the interplay of all the garbage that's out there and the garbage that's in our heart interacting. And the difference is that, you know, when um, Rome, Paul talks about this quite a bit in Romans chapter six, where he talks about sin as a, a ruling king that comes and makes slaves of us. And Christ comes as a greater king and sets us free from slavery to our previous ruler. Um, and yet not in such a way that there's no further battle in our life. It's, it's just that before we were fighting a losing battle, now we're fighting a battle that we can, we can fight back and we begin, begin to gain ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that goes back to the analogy of D-Day and V-Day, mm -hmm. where, you know, Calvary was D-Day, and that's when victory entered this fallen world, and ultimate victory was assured, even though there's still a period of time before that victory is complete. That period of time is the period of time between the resurrection and ascension of Christ and his return. We live in that time where we can fight back against sin, and yet we're still in this fallen world. It's what theologians call the already, but mm -hmm. the not yet. We're, we're in the already and the not yet at the same time. Augustine uh, said something along the lines of, um, may we never say that Jesus was able to sin. Is that right? Well, I, I, I don't know whether it's right that he said it, uh, Augustine. <laughs> I take your word for it. Um, I think, I don't know. I think that um, 
I, I think that there must have been a potential because the battle that Hebrews presents is real. It's just that Jesus persevered and won in that battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like Adam, that uh, Adam uh, did not have to fall. He chose to fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, because, to, because you can't say that Christ was just, you know, that Christ came into this world and, you know, there was never, he never faced a problem because he had a divine nature. That, that doesn't do justice to what Hebrews teaches, and it doesn't do justice to the fa- fact of the incarnation that he took on humanity. Mm-hmm. It's just that Christ made a right, he did not inherit the fallen nature, the corrupt nature that we did. He came into the world the same way as Adam did, which is why he's called the second Adam. But he made a right choice where Adam made a wrong choice. And I think that's the really key distinction. If he did not inherit the sin nature that we inherited, then uh, it would have it would be impossible for him to experience sinful desire or sin from the inside out. Right. Unless he made a choice to entertain it, which he didn't. Right. And so he, which means he was only ever externally tempted and, right. and uh, every time made the choice to uh, resist the temptation. Correct. It's good. It's worth pointing out because I think it, um, people sometimes lean on that as, uh, as a way to justify that their desires themselves. Yeah, um, and we have to be careful. Like some Wesleyans teach uh, you know, that you can encounter temptation, but you don't give into it. Therefore, you're not affected by sin. And uh, mm, as uh, in, a t- in an attempt to, because their belief is that you can attain some level of like completed holiness. Is that right? Right. It's tied in with that. And I think there's an error. That's where they don't recognize the full extent of our fallenness that, mm-hmm. um you know, it, it's a, I mean, we, we can obtain a great measure of victory in this life. Yes, we can, mm-hmm. but we will always remain uh, compromised mm-hmm. to some extent uh, so that I always take some of the temptation on board and maybe entertain it for a while. Uh, and then I reject it. I overcome and I do the right thing. But it's there's still a measure of battle there. It doesn't matter what it is. If my my neighbor drives in, uh, it, my neighbor drives into his into his driveway with a, a brand new car, then I might have a moment where I think, oh, I wish I had a brand new car. Mm-hmm. And then I go through in my mind and I think, no, that's not kingdom of God mentality. And I'm very grateful with what I've got, and so on. And never mind that he's got a Lexus and I've got a Honda Civic, which is it so happens is is correct. Um, but, uh, you know, so then I get over it and it doesn't bother me that much, you know, but all these thoughts go into your mind. My neighbor isn't a Christian. He has never served the Lord. He winds up with Alexis and I wind up with a civic. And then I have to kind of, you know, go through all my biblical filters of mm-hmm. materialism and values and all the rest of it. You see, this is the thing where teaching comes in so important, Jake, it, it is so important that we need to ground people in a biblical worldview. People don't just fall into it you know, by virtue of having an encounter with the Holy Spirit or something, people need to be taught. You run across people in the charismatic world that kind of 
you know, fall away, quote unquote, from the faith. But half the problem is they were never taught. I taught, talked to a young man who had a, a series of recently who had a series of bad experiences in church and uh, and he just sort of walked away and he contacted me and said, I've come back to the Lord through your teaching. And so obviously, it's just I've never met him. It's all that online stuff. So he had read my no diving book. Mm-hmm. And as he read it and went through the whole thing, he just sort of came back. And really, it was just he needed the grounding and the teaching. The mm-hmm. teaching made sense of some of the things, you know, the bad experiences or whatever that he'd had. The teaching just made sense and drew him back to, to Christ. So I think we need to, I mean, we need to ground people in biblical truth. So they have a framework for understanding the sinful desires and temptations of all sorts. So they understand why when your neighbor drives in to his driveway with a, a, a Lexus and you've got the Civic, or maybe you only even got a Civic, um, then, then there, there's a, a series of biblical values that we filter this whole experience through. But if I, if I haven't been taught those values, mm-hmm. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil things. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. And all these different things. If I haven't been taught that, then by um, a default, mm-hmm. my uh, the values that I have will be the values of the pagan culture in which I live. Because right. there's no vacuum. They and just right. can fill it. Right. And, and therefore, I'll be mad because he's got the Lexus and I've got the Civic. Mm-hmm. And I think the um, as it pertains to the conversation we're having now, these kinds of conversations can be quite difficult uh, and certainly not celebrated by all people. Um, but I see it as uh, a necessary thing to teach on this because it's such a far reaching issue in our culture. Um, and it, it can be quite uncomfortable because we are saying that, I, I mean, let's make it plain we all have involuntary desire. The Bible doesn't seem to make any exception for whether or not our desire is voluntary or involuntary um, in regards to whether or not it is or is not sin. Um, And so I think it's an important thing for us to take our desires seriously, to celebrate the fact that we can have great desires, but also acknowledge the fact that we can have wrong desires. Um, And I see that as a doorway into uh, transformation and, and, um, freedom. Uh, like you said, Romans seven makes it clear that our relationship with sin is always going to be complicated. Uh, and we will attain some level of victory, but never a total level of victory on this side of eternity. Um, but we will attain no level of victory if we think about it the wrong way. If we are, uh, if we are fine just to say that I have these desires, uh, no matter what direction they're aimed, um, and desire is fine, then I don't think we'll ever get free from something that we're not willing to call bondage. Yeah, no, I think that's well stated. Let's wrap it up. Um, I've been seeing this phrase. So for years, we've seen the phrase love is love. Um, and uh, it, this year, uh, obviously, we're it's June, and this is un, unplanned. Uh, the fact that these conversations fell in June, um, but uh, in America, and I'm assuming in many places, it's uh, Pride Month. 
Um, and so you see a lot of, you know, businesses put up the, the flags and um, do all of their, uh, I would say, if, in, in large part, virtue signaling. Um, and so we're releasing these episodes in June. So uh, one of the phrases that I've been seeing this time around is the phrase, love who you want, which I think is a very interesting statement to make and, no, and not a very thoughtful one. And it seems to me that uh, a lot of times we are believing these kinds of statements, whether it's love is love or this one, love who you want. And it just seems absurd to me that we don't recognize how, how boundaryless we're thinking uh, of sexuality today. Um, and it would not seem uh, irrational to me to say we are on a slippery slope here. Um, and sometimes people don't like the slippery slope argument, but it seems like statements like that are, uh, are a slippery slope. And you had mentioned in our episode last week, uh, pedophilia. It just seems to me like the direction of our culture is going to continue going down this line of everything being permissible. Um, we're not there yet, but it does not seem like we are a very far way away. Well, the T-shirt expresses that, I think. Uh, and uh, uh, because you have to draw, well, I guess you don't have to draw a line. You, you, but if you, if you insist on not drawing lines, then everything down to having sex with animals is permissible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the Bible draws lines. Uh, and and uh, uh, whether we like it or not, but but people who move out the boundaries uh, and say, well, okay, um, I think it should be permissible to have, you know, I think let's say homosexual uh, love is permissible. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, you, you've moved away from a biblical boundary. We have to be very clear about that. Um, so once you've moved away, th there's a reason that that society has restricted, let's say, marriage and, and acceptable sexuality to uh, opposite sex relationships. The reason is because of biblical revelation. Right. Uh, and, uh, and in other cultures, the reason I would put down to, you know, the degree of revelation of the creator that Romans one allows for. Right. So that generally across the world today, that that is, ha has been the consensus. And I, I'm not aware of any society outside of maybe ancient Sparta or something where, or, or Athens where homosexuality was celebrated. Um, and you've got to look at that and think, well, there's got to be reason for that. Uh, so when you start taking boundaries down, uh, the people who are, let's say, heterosexual pedophilia acts, if there is such a word, um, they're going to come along and say, well, I should have the right, uh, you know, or if you say, well, homosexual sex is fine, then are you saying it's fine down to what age? What is the age of consent? Should there be an age of consent? And then above it and beyond it all, you know, um, what about incest, you know, or, or bestiality? Mm -hmm. And at some point, 
almost everybody will draw a line. Mm -hmm. And so we, we come along and say, we, we can come along as Christians, as biblical Christians and say, well, you know, you say that we can't draw a line, but you are drawing a line. Which is, just, everybody is just drawing a line in the place that they want to. Yes. So let's be clear about it, that it's not just biblical Christians mm -hmm. who are drawing lines and saying this is good and this is not good. Mm -hmm. Everybody is doing that. I mean, the, the, or the polyamory people, you know, like there's, there's a, a tiny, tiny percentage of people who believe that any that there shouldn't be any boundaries at all. I mean, that might be one in, you know, I don't know, 5,000 or 10,000 people would believe that. And they're probably mentally ill. Forgive me, but they're probably, there's probably a, a malfunction somewhere in their personality that they would think that it was just fine to have sex with a dog or a cow. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. A lot of times, um, when you engage not in that I'm, and let me just say not that i'm equating homosexuality with bestiality i'm not trying to do that i'm just saying that everybody draws lines somewhere in terms no, of what's you're making it to be morally right you're making an important point and all we're saying is that the logical conclusion of erasing the biblical boundary is that uh anywhere that you place a boundary you have to uh, acquiesce that it is arbitrary. Um, it's arbitrary, right? But it isn't arbitrary for us because we ascribe it to divine revelation. Now, even if you don't believe in divine revelation, it still is non-arbitrary because we have a rational reason, which <laughs> is divine revelation, mm -hmm. whereas other people don't have any rational reason for doing it, <laughs> or at least a strong rational reason. <laughs> And as it stands right now, as you've pointed out, our society does draw lines. We, there are certain practices that we are not yet okay with, um, at least not out in the open. And all I hear you saying, and this is certainly uh, a thought that I've mulled over a lot over the last couple of years, is that if we were to be intellectually honest with our stance as a culture, then we wouldn't draw the lines that we draw. Carl Truman makes the point that uh, it seems it seems as though the reason that these lines are being drawn, um, and at least for the time being, uh, is because our culture uh, values and promotes uh, victims as kind of a general rule. And so because we have this kind of oppressed oppressor dynamic going on in the West, uh, uh, right now at quite a large capacity. Yeah, that's critical theory. That's critical theory. So um, certain groups are able to make a strong case in the culture to uh, being oppressed by whatever the norms are, heteronormative um, values, Christian values, the, and they those values are oppressing these groups of people. And so far, they've been able to make a case to which the culture uh, agrees with. And we see that in a law, right? So uh, in 2015, you have a Obergefell and, and gay marriage is legalized in America. Um, and so it, it seems that when we can look at something and go, okay, well, this group is being victimized and oppressed, we need to do something about it. Um, but things like uh, pedophilia, or um, I, you know, I, I want to have 
three wives or I want to be in, you know, a relationship with an animal. Like it would be really difficult to make the case of oppression um, uh, in that area in, in terms of being. Basically, you see, I'm, I made the argument that the most oppressed group of all are the unborn children who are being killed. And uh, nobody seems to be uh, other than those who have been influenced by biblical thinking. Uh, even if they're not Christians, they're influenced by biblical thinking. Nobody seems to be bothered by erasing their rights. And, and ultimately, my, my, the, my position has always been, it comes down to might versus right, that people, even, even minority groups are trying to gain the upper hand where they can dictate. So you look at the transgender, which one person in every, I don't know, you know, 300 or a thousand or something like that, depending on what statistic you look at, mm -hmm. uh, are in that transgender or, or asexual or whatever non -binary. Although, shockingly, in the last few years, that number has somehow managed to skyrocket. Well, yes, but it's still, it's still <laughs> no more than one in 300. And I no, I'm, make, I'm making a joke that uh, it's, it's... Yeah, well, that's... They, they, yeah, well, we won't we, we don't have time to go with it there, but I'm just saying that, you know, it's a very tiny percentage of people and you say, well, how could might become right with one in 300 people? Well, just look at what's happening to women's sports teams all across the Western world, or what's happening when you go into your washroom and a, a lady's washroom and a target and you find a man in there. You know, these are they, mm -hmm. it's might versus right. And 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 bizarrely, you know, um, the one in 300 are dictating the lives of the rest of the people mm -hmm. because of the perversion of our culture. Right, and it's because we have um, drunk the Kool-Aid of uh, a certain way of thinking, whether it yep. can be traced yeah. back to Marx or uh, Rousseau um, or Freud. Uh, it's this belief that our, um, our quote-unquote sexual identity must be celebrated um, and if it is not, then it is being oppressed, then we are being oppressed. And so, so far that's pushed the line out a certain ways. Um, and it would seem logical to me to expect that line to get pressed further and further yeah, but, out. But it won't, but it won't because in the end you get, uh, a pushback because at some point, um, my rights, uh, infringe upon your rights. And that's the problem with critical theory. And I can't remember where it was in The Economist or something. It was a liberal publication. Recently, I read the internal civil war within every major progressive movement in uh, the United States is just uh, devastating internally. And those of us, th those movements, right? The progressive movement, um, left wing or progressive, whatever you want to call it, sort of movement as it within American culture, uh, doesn't matter where, which department of that you look at the analysis. I wish I could give you the, the reference, uh, but uh, um, there's civil war going on. People are, 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 are spending more time fighting each other than they are, um, and the abortion rights movement was one case that was stated that there, there is, um, you know, more people arguing. It's like things you've seen in the Washington Post, and New York Times, 
you know, the people are fighting each other and to the uh, detriment of actually promoting the cause that they're supposed to be promoting, Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because I think that's what happens when you give carte blanche to everybody to promote mm-hmm. their own rights mm-hmm. it's sooner or later your rights interfere with mine mm-hmm. and a brawl breaks out yeah and, and groups that were previously uh united start to disintegrate exactly and yeah. and within the body of christ we follow a man who laid down all of his rights mm-hmm. so we're continuously laying down our sense of rights for our brothers and sisters, which is why the body of Christ should be the opposite of that, should be right. the most harmonious place. Yeah, it's, you're absolutely right. Amen. Um, so you make an interesting point. What I hear you saying is that you actually don't expect the line to get pushed out much further. Uh, we're not on a slippery slope um, because uh, movements like this um, tend to self-destruct. Uh, self-destruct. Yeah, I, I the think question, that's, the question that's is how the mercy of God. Well, the question is how much of, of the society will it take <laughs> with it well, as it self destructs There's a lot of damage already been done, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, the whole logic of critical theory, if you examine it, is, you know, in the end, the only person that really has the right to speak is the person who, you know, is... The victim. D- disabled mm-hmm. uh, is obese mm-hmm. is transgender mm-hmm. is black whatever you put every possible uh oppressed group but they have to take every last box and you're down to one in fifty thousand people that is dictating the course of society uh which doesn't sound very healthy so of course long before it gets to that the, the whole thing is, but I wish, I mean, I'm just annoyed with myself. I didn't take take note of that reference because it was written from a progressive perspective. Well, look it up. And what we'll do is we'll put I'll it in, the, well, in, we'll put it in yeah. the show show notes of the episode. So people I'll see if I can find it anyway. Yeah. Um, this has been a good discussion. I really appreciate your perspectives. And uh, I guess let me just close with saying that uh, we understand that uh, this conversation can be quite a bit triggering. Um uh, depending on someone's experiences, uh, but we offer all of it up uh, in genuine love. And um, we're just trying to make sense of these issues. They're worth thinking about. They're worth talking about thoroughly. Um, and certainly our culture is thinking and talking about it. And uh, uh, every year, Pride Month seems to be uh, more and more out there in terms of the kinds of things that are being uh, not just tolerated, but celebrated. And so we think that the Christian voice belongs in the conversation and that's what we're here to try and offer up. So David, love you. You too. Have a great day. Bye.